Coming up on Something is About to Happen. When God makes a promise, He only makes it because it is already done in the privilege of His foreknowledge in eternity to come. And it will certainly happen in your time. Can I say to you again, that it's not what happens to you that matters, but it's how you see what happens to you that determines the outcome. Because good, bad, and ugly will always find a way to happen at different times and sometimes all at the same time in your life. And if you interpret the outcome based on a moment in time, friends, you have not really known your God. There are some of us in this room, the only reason why we have progression through the challenges, toils, snares of life is because there's a promise of God on our head. And I hope that this is the people to whom I speak online and in situ this Sunday morning. Otherwise, this word is not for you. It's for people who are challenged gargantuanly by giants in spite of the promise on their life. Because God does not want you to shrink or become apprehensive when your promise puts you in front of a trouble or a troubler that is bigger than you. So that you will know from the report of history, from the prophetic pronouncement in your life, that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You cannot see him with the eyes, but you can see the impact of his presence and the handiwork of his faithfulness over the years of your history to know that of a truth, God is for you. And if God before you, who is the giant that can be against you and succeed? Your giant will become your bread somebody in other words, what to him looks like your demise looks to you as your passageway into the land of the fulfillment of all your promises from God. That's why the first thing I want to tell you this morning is that wherever you see a giant, the giant is an indicator that your treasure trove of divine promises are on the other side of where the giant stands to prevent you from coming in. How many of you have a promise from God? You know, men can make promises to you and in spite of their best intentions be unable to keep them because of the frailty, incapacity, incompetence and the lack of power in men and sometimes the lack of integrity. But when God makes you a promise, Appreciate that he is the omnipresent God. We won't even have to tamper with his omniscience. That would further explain it, but I don't have the time. Meaning that in his eternalness, he does not see time as you see time. He glances at all of time and eternity and experiences it in one glance. So he's in yesterday and all of yesteryear and all of yester eternity. And today, and in futuristic tomorrow, and future time tomorrow, and future eternity at one time. This means that when he makes you a promise, he understands your history. And he already knows it cannot prevent your destiny. He knows you are now and that you will survive it because he's standing in your future, in your tomorrow. And it's already a reality for him, you and him fellowshipping together in it. So when he tells you, I've given you a promise, he's not really telling you it's going to happen. He's announcing that it has already happened. You just haven't yet come into that time. And this is why we can believe him, because no other personality is eternal like him. In fact, he doesn't live in eternity. Eternity lives in him. That's why... You have to have God as your father. Not just as your creator, but as your father. See, because when he makes a promise, 
He cannot lie. And as it concerns men, a promise and what is promised are not the same thing. When God makes a promise, he only makes it because it is already done in the privilege of his foreknowledge in eternity to come. And it will certainly happen in your time. For we know in whom we have believed and we are fully persuaded that he's able to keep his promise and perform it concerning the day of Christ. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. No matter what it looks like on the outside or the delays that might occur, it's going to happen. Israel chose not to believe God. Why was this so? Moses had got to the precipice of the promised land. They were just there. Was less than a few days journey. They were right at the precipice. That he had sent 12 spies in to do a recce mission on the promised land. They went into the promised land and they all saw the lush and the plush nature of the land. It flowed with milk and honey. The, the vegetables were amazing. The fruit were fabulous. Uh, the country was phenomenal. The soil was rich to support a healthy agrarian uh, industry. The infrastructure was formidable. It was already set in place that they were getting ready to go and live in houses that they did not build, to reap where they had not sowed. But there were giants in the land. And 10 of the spies came back seeing exactly the same thing as the other two spies saw. And they gave what Moses calls an evil report to the children of Israel. And all these 10 men or 12 men were influencers. In other words, people will follow their influence. And they were chosen for that reason because God had made it clear to Moses that I've given the promise to the children of Israel. That land belongs to them. Anybody you see there are temporary occupants just holding it in space for you. And if you were God, you would do the same thing. The people that will hold something for you must be capable. They must be strong to the task. And just because a strong one is there doesn't mean it's not yours. Because the stronger one and the strongest one are with you. And so seeing the giants, they reclined or they resigned from their quest to take over the land. How terrible. Be careful who you run with. Be careful who you hear from. Be careful who you partner with to ensure that you agree on matters of faith. Not just matters of value, but matters of faith. And the Israelites were overwhelmed and swept by the evil report because they were afraid of giants. Now, I, I wouldn't be concerned if they hadn't just come out of Egypt by a mighty hand. Ten major miracles, major, where God turned water into blood, sent boils, flies, frogs, lice, hail, killed their firstborn, brought them out completely whole and healed. Three million of them. Took them to the Red Sea, parted the water supernaturally. Egypt thought that they would enter in with them and also come through the same passage alive. But just because Israel passed through under the blood that they put on their doorposts did not mean that Egypt would come through it. And look at this carefully, my friends. What happens is that Egypt dies in what Israel survived. It was a baptism. It was a baptism. And they survived the baptism because of the blood they put on the doorpost and the lintel. If the Egyptians had put the same blood there, they too would have come out. But the difference is that one group had faith in the blood of the lamb, forecast, prefigured by the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of their homes. And the other group had no blood. Israel saw this. I do not understand how come they would think of a giant as greater than the Red Sea. The greatest military nation of the world, Egypt, had been beaten sore by the Israelites and their God. Now they're going to be afraid of Canaanites, Jebusites, Ammonites, Nephilim, Anakim, 
Where's their reasoning? The problem is that for 400 years, they had been captive slaves. And when you've been a slave for that long, your father was a slave, your grandfather was a slave, your great-grandfather was a slave, for 40 generations, it's easy to take a man out of slavery, but it's difficult to take the slavery out of the man. And so if you're not careful, you carry your baggage with you. This is why Paul keeps giving us the New Testament equivalent and says, put off the old man. In other words, you must consciously and intentionally put off your Adamic nature. Put off the slavery nature to the elements of this world. It must be deliberate. And he gives you the force and the power of his grace to do so. Paul teaches that clearly in the new covenant. Going further forward, Israel is at the precipice. Only two men have a different take on things. Can I say to you again, that it's not what happens to you that matters, but it's how you see what happens to you that determines the outcome. Because good, bad, and ugly will always find a way to happen at different times and sometimes all at the same time in your life. And if you interpret the outcome based on a moment in time, friends, you have not really known your God. For the Bible says, we know. In other words, this is proven experience in our past trials that some things, no, all things work together for the good of them who love God and are the called according to his purpose. That means no matter what happens, God is going to turn it and make it work together for your good. No matter how many things happen, good, bad, and ugly, all at the same time, and the ugly really gives you hell on earth, God is going to make it work for your good. No matter that you go into a pit, don't see it as pitiful. No matter that they take you away in slave chains, Joseph, or they sell you as a slave to somebody who you are technically going to be greater than, or they falsely accuse you and put you in an incarceration situation, don't interpret it as bad. Everything that happens to you, believer, is good. If you have the evil report of the 10 spies, you can't see it that way. But if you understand what it is to have a different spirit, the spirit that was with Joshua and Caleb, the spirit that was with Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the spirit that was with Joseph, you will never see things the way others do. You will see it from a different perspective because you have a different spirit. You're not looking at it from where the grasshoppers see things. You're looking at it not from where the giants see things, but you're looking at it from where the almighty God sees things because you don't live an ordinary life you live the above life that means other people go through what you go through and they die they suffer they can't take it but when you go through stuff you can take a licking and keep on ticking you can hear bad news and keep a good attitude you can go through the fire and still keep your shout dance and joy because you know in whom you have believed and that his promise on your life is taking you somewhere the pit will not be able to stop you the chains will not be able to hold you back Potiphar's lying wife will not be able to restrain you the prison will not be able to lock your destiny up it may lock you up for a time no weapon that is fashioned against you will be able to prosper it may hurt your feelings but it cannot hurt your destiny it will only help to accelerate your destiny to its ultimate conclusion if this is you I'm talking to look for about four people and tell them right now the promise of God upon my life is taking me somewhere and the devil nor the giant cannot stop it if you're not under the promise this word is not for you but if you have a promise like the Israelites had, this word is taking you somewhere. It doesn't matter who votes against you or who militates or machinates against you. They cannot stop a promise that has already happened. It will manifest. I said it will manifest. I said your promise from a God who cannot lie, it will manifest. It's going to manifest. It's going to manifest. Pastor Larry, the challenge for me is that the unbelieving nation of Israel that came out of Egypt, not one of them entered the promised land. 
because 10 of their leaders, the majority, who had influence on them, had told them, it's a great land. It's fantastic. God has promised it to us, but there are giants there. We, it is impossible for us to take the land from exactly. them. And because they believed the lie, not one of them entered the promised land, except for the two men with a different spirit. Joshua and Caleb. By teaching this word today, I am deliberate and very intentional about making sure that out of the rock of the word, oil will flow into your life. From your innermost being where the rock himself lives and from the heavens above. That like when God flooded the earth, the flood was only possible because he broke the cisterns beneath and released the flood from under. And then he opened the windows of heaven and the heavens poured out rain till they were saturated in the oil of a different spirit. So that, how do you say it? Where the Lord is, his presence is the difference. And his difference is the presence. The problem is this. How come Joshua and Caleb saw it differently from the ten spies? They saw the same thing. But they also saw different outcomes. They saw the same thing, but they interpreted it differently. The Hebrew reporters were enemy conscious. They were self-conscious. And when you are self-conscious, you don't see God, and you don't see your enemy in the view of how God sees that enemy. And therefore, you belittle yourself because you have no iota of real understanding of how God values you of how God has protected you, of how God says they cannot touch you unless they first touch me. They cannot defeat you unless they first defeat me. But because you keep looking at yourself and you're not looking at God, nor are you looking at God's disposition and commitment to you, you evaluate your possibility purely on the basis of self-consciousness. Whereas we are not called to look at ourselves, Paul is clear in his doctrine and in his teaching. The Old Testament is replete with evidence and examples of why Paul takes the stand that he takes. He says, looking at yourself, no. He says, looking unto Jesus, the one who has authored and finished your destiny. He wrote your biography before you were born. He also tells us that we see Jesus. So when you're going through hell, that's especially when you must not look at yourself. Look at your master. Look at his mind. Look at his history in dealing with you. Look at how he has protected you when you were not deserving of it. Look at how he abided faithful when you were faithless and unfaithful. Don't base your outcome or your sense of outcome on who you are, what you have done wrong, what you have done right. Base it on how God sees you. And how does he see you? We spend weeks teaching this. He sees you the same way he sees Christ. That's why you will overtake when you pursue and you will overcome. Because people who are better than you, better behaved than you, they will constantly look at themselves. Because their righteousness is self. But who is our righteousness? Say it with me. The Lord is my righteousness. In other words, I am awarded and accorded not based on what I deserve, but based on what Christ deserves. That's why I get stuff that's over and above all I could ask or think in an exceeding manner. Not because of me, but because of the power that works in me. What power works in me? The power of the gospel. It's not the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the power of the gospel. It's the power of a belief system that God has authorized, that he stands by to guarantee the gospel. Let me prove it to you. Romans 1.16. I am not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God for the total package of deliverance. For anyone that believes, whether you're Egyptian or Israeli, whether you are Jew or Greek. That's why if you don't have a grasp on the gospel, not the Bible, the gospel, you can come to church all you like. 
You can sit down and say amen, jump and shout and scream and fly everything you fly. But if you don't grasp the gospel, you're not using the power that's available to you. The gospel is the power behind this boy. Behind this boy. There's no magic to it. I know God was careful to put me in a family that would love me and brought me forward when they were sure that they were done having children. But that's not my power. My power is the gospel. It's the gospel. Nobody can contend with the gospel and win because the gospel is not for good boys or good girls. It's for the lost. It's for the people who have failed. It's for the Mary from Magdalas. It's for the Zacchaeuses. It's for even the lawyers that repent. The gospel is for those who missed it, not by their fault. It was not your fault you were born like that. It's Adam's fault. It was through one man's offense that death of all types came into the earth. But thanks be to God for the Lord Jesus Christ. That through one man's righteousness, eternal life and life abundantly comes upon all who choose to believe upon him. That's the secret to my story. That's the secret to my namesake story of Tarsus. That's the secret to the outcome of your future and why you can be different from other people. Because you don't base your prospects on you. Because your focus is not self-consciousness. Your focus is Christ consciousness. Your focus is Jesus consciousness. He's already made his promises good. The promises of God are yay and amen. It means yes and correct. So, my challenge is, these ten spies and the whole nation of Israel, except for two guys, did not enter the promised land. They were less than seven days away from it. They had to circulate and perambulate till every one of them was dead. Only their children born in the desert would enter the promised land. Because the mindset issue was too strong. And when the father has the mindset, it comes on the child. The child has the mindset, it comes on the grandchild. The grandchild has the mindset, it comes reinforced three times over on the great-grandchild. Mindsets are not easy to deal with. It takes God to deal with your mindsets. And he deliberately raises preachers, sends the anointing of wisdom and revelation, puts angels by your study table when you're studying your Bible as your preacher enjoys the same impact so that you can hear the word and the spirit of God will make plain to you on the tables. And friend, if you are not a student of the Bible, you cannot prove God's grace in your life. You have to study to show yourself approved unto God. And that study is born from hunger. You cannot decide, I will study, I will study, I will study. You can read and read and read and learn and learn and learn and never come to the knowledge of the truth. Unless God reveals the truth to you. Once he starts revealing to you, you will become so hungry for it because of its transformational impact in your life. I've got to move on. Can I go a little further? Can I go a little further? Look at somebody tell them, watch out for me. Something is about to happen in my life. So the Israelites, in Numbers 14 verse 3, they said, why has the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should be prey to the enemy. Isn't it better for us to return to Egypt? They're on their way to the promise. They see a little looming calamity in front of them in the guise of giants and they misinterpret the presence of the giants wrongly. They don't realize that the giants were keeping the space for them, not the giants keeping the space from them. And unless you have the mindset of Joshua and Caleb, a different spirit in forming that mindset, you will interpret your giants wrongly. You will interpret your closed doors wrongly. You will interpret your fiery trials wrongly. You will interpret your pit, Joseph, wrongly. You will interpret the fact that your brothers and the generals of the land have not gone up against Goliath. You will interpret it wrongly. But Joshua and Caleb were different. They had a victory consciousness. They had a savior consciousness. Joshua's name used to be Oshia, which means salvation. But Moses renamed him and called him Joshua, Yehoshua, which means God is 
our salvation. God is salvation. Hallelujah. And these two men were God conscious. Joshua had the privilege of being on the mountain with God and Moses. So he could see the might, the power, and the kindness of God. The commitment of God's integrity to his promises. I read for you from Numbers 14 verse 8. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land. Let's correct that into New Testament. The Lord delights in you. That's the difference between the Old and the New Testament. Then he will bring you into this land. You will enter your promise. And he will bring us into this land and give it to us a land that flows with milk and honey. Your life is going to flow with the goodness of God. He may have been angry for a moment on the cross, but his favor is with you for a lifetime. He can pull one man down, he can lift another up. But as it concerns you, you are not just anybody, you are the apple of his eye. He will fight for you. You will not need to lift your hand in this battle. God said, this battle belongs to me. I will defeat your enemy for you. Numbers 14 verse 8. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land. Let's correct that into New Testament. The Lord delights in you. That's the difference between the Old and the New Testament. Then he will bring you into this land. You will enter your promise. And he will bring us into this land and give it to us a land that flows with milk and honey, your life is going to flow with the goodness of God. Oh, I want to get to where I'm going. Your life is going to flow with honey. Oh, sweetness. But do you believe your giant? Or do you believe your God? Verse 9. Do not rebel against God. Don't turn your ear away from him and also don't fear the people of the land of giant stature don't be afraid of the giants listen carefully for they are bread for us their defense has departed what does God say when he says they are bread in other words your supplies and your fruitfulness, your spoils are the giant. If you swallow the giant, you've got the spoils. If you can get past the giant, you've won. Your life will be better and brighter. And God wants to know, do you prize the giant as greater than he, your God? 400 years of slavery had created a subservient and slave mentality among the Israelites. The result was that they saw themselves as weaker than everybody else. Yet God had just defeated the most powerful nation in the whole world for them. In the last 50 days, he just defeated the strongest nation just to give them a sense of confidence in whom they have believed. But in spite of all his demonstrations of power, they didn't get it. And this slavery mindset, it had bound them so that even though they had left their chains, they were still in chains to a former belief system that we are the least of the people, yet your God is the greatest of all the gods. Slavery had engraved in their understanding a mindset that was inconducive to possessing their possession. But Joshua and Caleb had a different spirit. They all saw the big and the brilliant houses. They all saw the beautiful mansions. They all saw the fabulous fruit and the amazing vegetables. They all saw the same giants standing in their way. But unlike the others, Joshua and Caleb saw the giants as bread. And they said to Israel, these giants are bread unto us. The evil reporters saw the giants as insurmountable and impossible obstacles. 
apostles. As a result, Joshua and Caleb were the only two persons from that generation that entered the promised land. And they announced to Israel, do not fear the giants of the land. They are our bread. Their protection has departed from them. I declare to every troubler of Nigeria, wherever they are or wherever they come from, we declare in the authority we have as the regency of heaven on earth that your protection has departed. We declare that there will be rancor in your ranks. There will be division of your tongues. You will fight one another with spear and sword. Your arrow will not come near the lot of the righteous. The rod of the wicked will not rest on the portion of those who have the Lord as their righteousness. In the name that is above every name, we remove every protective covering from the occultists, the wicked, and those who gaze at stars. We declare because we look at Jesus, the Lord is with us. Whenever you are about to come into a new dimension of God's blessing, of God's promise, and God's purpose for your life, I say to you authoritatively, there will be giants or gatekeepers at the gate to your new level. Giants show up sometimes in your health. It's only because God wants to give you better health. So that you can take care of the giant and stop shrinking from it. Just go and see the doctor or come and participate in faith aids like communion. Giants show up in your finances. In such a way that when the giant showed up against him, he showed up against the whole nation. Some will look at the problem and decide, my personal economy has to fail because of what's happening in the country. That's not how it has to be. You're looking at it from the wrong perspective. Your case will be different. It's not your business to know how. The only person needful in the difference of your matter is God. His presence makes the difference. His difference is the presence. Giants sometimes show up in your career. Giants show up in your business, in your enterprise, in your ministry. And your giant is not always a person or a group of people. It could be a mindset. It could be a disposition of yours or of somebody else. It could be an illness. It could be a harassment. And friends, let me say this to you. The real Goliath in your life is not Goliath. Because the giant that dies easily is not your real challenger. Goliath was not a problem for David. It was Saul that was the giant that didn't go away easily. The Pharaoh that gets drowned in the Red Sea, that's not your Pharaoh. That one died easily. Moses' Pharaoh was his own anger. It killed him. That he spoke ill-advisedly and he lost it as a result and God didn't let him go into the promised land. Allow me to challenge you to see the giants that show up in your business or in your life or in your career or in your relationships or in your family. Allow me to challenge you to see them as bread. And what does bread do? Bread makes you stronger. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. When you eat bread, you feel a surge of energy. If you eat the right kind of bread that has no gluten, you feel sustained surge in your energy level. It brings me quickly to David. David is minding his business, doing a mundane job on the backside of the woods near his father's house. And a prophet is sent by God. Because the protection of God upon a certain man called King Saul has departed from him. And the anointing is now on David. And he arrives at David's house and says, the king is here, I want to anoint him. He brings his first son, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh. And Samuel is certain that everyone that passed before him was the next king. And God said, no, I've rejected him. I've rejected him seven times. He said, you look at, you look at the outward appearance. I weigh the heart. I weighed the man's intellect, his choices, his value system. He said, is there nobody here? 
God could not have got it wrong. The same God that told me none of these is the king is the same God that told me the king is here. They eventually remembered and they sent for the janitor because he was an embarrassment to the family because of his, his, where he sprung from. The understanding amongst most scholars is that he was a child of a strange woman. And the little boy walks in, 16 years old or so. He had swagger, yet he had nothing. He had swagger, yet he owned nothing. He had swagger. Why? Because he had God. When God is in your life, you walk like a king whilst you're still the janitor. You talk like a man from another planet whilst you own nothing in earth. And he walks in and Samuel says, we will not sit down until he comes because you can't sit before the king. You can't sit down. It's not in proper etiquette. In their culture, you don't sit until the king has sat down. The first person to sit is the king because there's no convention without his presence. He's a boy, disregarded, disrespected, dejected by his family, including his father and his seven older siblings. But God had a plan for him. So they were a giant problem, but he had already overcome them in his mind. Because when men reject you, it compels you to find relationship in another who often you cannot see with the natural eye. This boy did not have human consciousness. He did not have man consciousness. He did not have daddy or sibling consciousness. This guy's focus was completely on God. He wrote most of the book of Psalms for us. He penned love letters to God. He's constantly blowing kisses, dancing, and arranging compositions on his harp. For Israel to sing from when he was a boy. His consciousness is set on, he even saw Jesus in his visions. He said once, the Lord said to my Lord, sit thou at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. In countless messianic psalms, he speaks about Christ. He knew him. He's the only man that set up a tabernacle for the ark of God and removed the veil. And left it open for everybody to see. But he maintained 24 hour, seven days a week, 365 days a year, worship before the Lord. David? David. He said, he teaches my hands to war and teaches my fingers to fight. He was talking about how he strums his compositions on his harp and writes lyrics to accompany the melody. David, a boy. But there was no stronger man in Israel than that boy. And the prophet anoints him in front of his family and the awe comes upon him and he says, you are the next king of Israel. Let me tell you what happened in the house. All the seven brothers, they kept quiet. They were dumbfounded. As far as they were concerned, the prophet made a mistake. There was no applause for what Samuel said by any of the seven brothers. In fact, if they had known better, they would say, daddy, you can't send him back to looking after sheep. Please let him be with us. No, he went back to the sheepfold to shovel dung to look after sheep. He did not know that God was preparing him. A lion jets out of the thicket and comes for the flock that he's looking after and snatches one of the lambs. And David feels the anointing on his life of the God who he loves so much, who loves him much more than David loves the God and comes upon him with such might that David is beside himself. That's where you need to be. He was focused on the power of God with him and he went after the lion used his slingshot most likely, brought the lion down, ran after the lion, split its jaw, took the lamb out, and then killed the lion. Fluke. But it happens a second time. And this time, it's a bear much bigger than a lion. Much more fierce than a lion. And he goes after the, the lamb, he does it again. The first one was not a fluke. The second was not a fluke. It was deliberately God at work. Why? God took David's fear from him. The perfect love of God, 1 John 4 and 17. When you are the beneficiary of the perfect love of God, you become fearless. Because you know God and you know that there's nothing in his creation that is stronger or greater than him. And you are convinced of his love for you because you spend time basking in his love, not doing reggae jeggy, boogie woogie. You're focused on him. And, and David has a consequent sense of confidence that God is with me. And he wrote Psalms after every championship against the lions and the bears. One day, 
the Philistines have set up battle against Israel. And they brought an agreement to the table and Israel agreed. They put their giants, a son of the Anakim, in other words, a Nephilim, as their mascot and said, if you can bring any man from Israel that can defeat this man, we will be your slaves. And you take all our property and our wives and women and everything. Said, if you can, if you can, uh, if we conquer you and this man fights your man and beats him, we take you and all of yours. Israel agreed. Problem. From Saul, through all the Zadok folk, the Abnas, the Joabs, not one man in 40 days said, I would take the giant. The giant did not belong to any of them. The giant belonged to David. The giant was guarding David's next level and the beginning passage to the crown and the throne where he would sit for 40 years. The giant stood in front of it. David could not see the future. The prophet had prophesied to him. He did not know that this giant was the thing standing between him and his future. And now the arrangement of a series of events was going to put him in position. He arrives at the battlefield as an errand boy to serve cheese and bread sandwiches to his brothers and to find out from them to report back to his dad how they are faring in the battle. He did not come as a warrior. But God had already built him as a warrior. David left the house that day not knowing he was going to fight a battle and not knowing he was going to win the battle he would fight. There's a day coming on somebody this week. There's a day coming on somebody this month. There's a day coming on somebody this year that you will not know what will happen that day. But you must respect that this is the day that the Lord has made. And God who has been at work preparing you over the years will not send you to the battle mistakenly. But when you see the battle, you must identify that this is my bread. Not this is my giant. This is my bread. In other words, the bread I've been dreaming of, the future I have been forecasted for. The prophetic word that the premier prophet of Israel at the time spoke over my life. This is my bread. All the warriors of Israel, you know, four-star generals, the five-star was in his own tent, three-star generals, two-star generals, one-star generals, the colonels, the lieutenant colonels, the majors, the captains, uh, the lieutenants, they were all there at the battle. But none of them raised their head above the trench line. Because Goliath had come, giant as he was, and taunted them. And fear came upon them, and fear has torment. That twice every day, for 39 days, and that day in the morning, Goliath, 79 times, gave each of them an opportunity to become great. They saw what David interpreted as an opportunity. They saw it as imminent demise. They saw the same thing. All of them saw it as death. David saw it as a new life. All of them saw it as demise. David saw it as the abundant life. All of them saw it as backward digression or regression. David saw it as progression because he had a different spirit. Why did he have a different spirit? His focus was on God. Their focus was on themselves. What will happen to me was going to be the outcome of this if I take him on. None of them was willing to die. David knew this man cannot kill me. I will only lay down my life by myself and I will pick it up by myself. He said, what means this thing? Who does this guy think that he is? To defy the armies of the covenant God, Jehovah? Is there nobody here who knows Jehovah? Is there nobody here who knows who Jehovah is? That nothing is impossible with God. Is there nobody here who does not understand that this is not a battle between giant and man? Because Goliath himself had brought his God into the battle and said that he would deliver Israel to his God. The moment he said that, he put the battle in God's hands. And David had one chance. All the warriors had 79, in fact 80. None of them took the chance. But David took the chance because he had a different spirit. They all said, the giant is too big, he will kill us. David said, the giant is so big, I cannot miss him. 
Now listen carefully, listen carefully. David was motivated by the name of God. His motive was not benefit. It was, I will not let them, as long as God be with me, denigrate the name of my God. If none of the warriors of the God who brought us out of Egypt by a mighty hand that we heard from our fathers is ready to take on this giant and doesn't recognize that our God is stronger than their God, our power therefore is greater than their power, then I will stand for God, a boy. But he had a different spirit. He had the spirit of the ancient of days. He had the spirit of Yehoah Sebaoth, the Lord strong and mighty in battle. But before David went to battle, he asked a question. His motive was God. He asked the question, he said, what is in it for the man that destroys this giant and delivers Israel? They said, you will immediately become a royal. Your entire family will be exempted your hateful brothers, they'll be exempted from tax. He went on and he said, the king will give you one of his daughters. You will have vast land in the nation and you will sit at the king's table. What more? Is it this giant, sorry, is it this lion or this bear that is standing between me and my benefit? The benefits were not his motive. The benefits were his benefits. His motive was God. But he was conscious of the benefits. Hallelujah to God. I said, Hallelujah to God. And David instantaneously had an additional dose of hunger. You can't eat bread unless you are hungry. Who am I talking to? Can I promise you something? I don't know who you are or where you're seated. Your life, any moment from now, is about to get better and better. Brighter and brighter, bigger and bigger, above and above most. And all the time David was rolling to pull down the giant, he could see the royal table. He could see the title deeds to vast land. He could see becoming HRH and husband to one of the king's daughters. He could see his status immediately, jet propel. Not to a new level, but to multiple dimensions. He was not going to walk into greatness. He was going to leap and bound into incredible opportunity. And the giant started talking rubbish to him. David swung his slingshot. He said, I will deliver your head to the enemy, to the fowls of the air. And he wound it up and he threw the pebble, one pebble. It landed in the middle of Goliath's forehead. Goliath was a giant. David was a boy. Goliath disdained him because he was small. He did not see what was behind David. God, I believed, directed the, the pebble to a point in the forehead that brought the giant down. The giant did not die. David immediately ran to the giant. He didn't have a weapon. He took the giant's sword and used it, I, I believe, in one blow to cut the giant's head. He didn't leave the sword. He carried the sword and he carried the head of the giant. Hallelujah. He took Goliath's head from the valley of Elah, walked 20 miles to Jerusalem with the head of Goliath in his hand. Why would he do that? What was the reason why he did that? David took the head of Goliath to Golgotha. And he buried the skull of Goliath in the mountain where Jesus Christ, the son of David, would defeat the Goliath of Goliaths on Calvary's brow. David took the skull to fulfill scripture and planted it in Golgotha's brow. Hallelujah to God. For the one who was both father to David and son to David to come and defeat the enemy with the enemy's own plan. The same way David defeated Goliath with his own sword that had the princes of this world known, the same way had Goliath known, he would never have taunted David. And when they stretched the son of David high, or lifted him high and stretched him wide, and he took all the blows, took the beating till his body drained of blood, bled from the tree.
The archaeologists tell us that that blood hit two places. It hit the Ark of the Covenant that was buried there by the protectors of the covenant, the protectors of the Ark, and it also hit the skull of Goliath. We also learn that when they pierced the feet with nails, it wasn't in the intermetatarsal space as I had believed for over 30 something years. They actually nailed Jesus by the heel in two different heels to the tree. So the blood from his bruised heel, and a bruise will always heal. Excuse the play on words. And from the bruised heel, blood fell on the skull. What does the skull represent? It represents the brain plan, the strategy of the enemy. The enemy might, might hurt it your feet but a bruise will always heal when you crush a brain especially if you've cut it off like Goliath did cut it off the serpent can never live again the last thing I want to say your land is often invisible to you and the first major sense in the natural that you will see is the giant the giant indicates to you where the gate is. And the giant stands at the gate to your new life, to your next level. Can you take the giant down? My answer to you is easy. Bread. Everybody else looked at Goliath. David had God in mind. That God is with me. David killed Goliath so that the blood of Jesus in a future generation would spoil the head the brain plan of the enemy not just in Jesus time but in all time following Christ's time for those that believe upon him the head of your enemy has been crushed